Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. First of all, shout out to all of my awesome patrons for making this show possible. There's a new charity I'm going to be donating a percentage of my ad and patron money to called Diversity Saves. They're gearing up to start granting money to awesome TTRPG creators soon, so check out the episode notes or my link tree to see what the fuss is about. And now onto this episode's guest intro. Zachary Burrell is the creator, writer, director, editor, and producer of the D&D-influenced audio drama Warlock. As a big anime and TTRPG fan, Zach took both of his loves and created an original story, which is tons of fun. Zach is also a player in the actual play podcast Severed Sons and a professional stage and voice actor. Enjoy! Hi, my name is Zachary Burrell. I am the producer, creator, writer, editor of Warlock, a D&D podcast. I'm also part of the actual play podcast, Severed Sons. So nice little variety there. I got into D&D. I remember very clearly I was in fourth grade. I went over to stay over at a friend's house. His dad was sitting around the table with some friends. I was like, what's, what are they all doing? Why are these grown men hunched around paper doing something at the table? And my friend Chris said, well, they're playing D&D. We can play if we want. And I said, uh, sure. So they rolled me up a character. It was third edition. No, it was, it was AD&D. It was the second edition. The second version of the second edition. It escapes me which what it's called. But sat down. His name was Kiergoth. He was a fighter mage. And I was hooked. I was immediately hooked. Nice. My friend would run games or jump in with his family games. Yeah, I went and bought the books, I think, the very next day. It's funny. There's like two types of people, right? There's the people who play and they're like, oh, that was okay. And then there's the people who play and they're like, well, this is what I do now. Like, I'm all in. Time to make this my personality. <laughs> yes, exactly. As much as I try to have other interests. How did you transition then from playing with your friends and stuff to deciding you wanted to try to run games yourself? And do you remember your first experience running games for other people? With that group, I never ran a game. I was always a player. Chris's dad was an expert DM and played probably since the beginning. I was uh, raised in the military, and so I moved around a lot. I think they ended up moving maybe a year after, year or two after we started playing. So all of a sudden, I'm by myself. I have all these books. One of my new friends comes over and I say, hey, have you heard of D&D? Let's play it. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, all right, I'll just, I just made something up. And it went horribly. I was <laughs> completely unprepared. I'm surprised that this new friend wanted to play more because there was so much of, oh, hang on, let me go look that up real fast. Hang on one second, let me... Uh, this monster, does that hit? I, if, uh, but thankfully I stuck with it and learned the rules more, learned the flow of things. That flow of being a DM where you have to kind of, this shifting spotlight kind of helps where it's like, well, what are you doing right now? Describe it in detail while I look up this thing really fast. Especially now with uh, D&D Beyond, Roll20, all those online resources. It's so <laughs> nice. Yes, it is definitely a crutch I lean on to be able to Google any rule or item or ability immediately. That does sound fun, though, and I'm glad your friends wanted to keep playing. The chance to kind of flex your imaginative muscles and have mm -hmm. some fun with your friends, even if it's like they're not sure what they're doing. You didn't know you didn't know what you were doing, right? He probably just thought that's how D&D is played, right? That's just how it is. So that's awesome. Thinking back to um, all of the different games you've run and time you've played, 
what do you feel like are some of the big mistakes you have made behind the screen? Anything that sticks out that are big things that you feel like other people could learn from? I think the two big things looking back were my inflexibility, the tendency to railroad very early on, because looking at the story that I had in my mind, I wanted that story to be told, not taking into account at the time for other people what they wanted to do and trying to force them to go these plot hooks and go to these places. And I would get so frustrated. It's like, oh, I set up this town. They didn't even go to it. I had to like force them to go to this town. And then over time realizing it's like, oh, it is about going with the flow. And this was before I had done any theater. One of the things that has always resonated with me as an actor was the, I believe it's a Meisner quote. I'm paraphrasing. The dialogue is a canoe, a boat. The scene is the water. And you cannot force the canoe to go a different way. It's you have to ride that. The way will tell you where to go. That sticks so true in terms of D&D, where it's like the players, their actions, the roll of the dice are all the water, and you really have to just be that boat, just riding whatever way that you want to go with it. And I think part of the other mistake I feel like I made was having a DMPC. I still wanted to play, you know, it was, it was early on and, and not realizing that the DM is still a player in their own right but still wanting to have that character join the party and be like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm also the same level as you and I have plot armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I learned that was very quickly. I think that was one of those characters looking back at that first campaign that we ran, I kind of killed him off pretty quickly. I was like, oh no, this isn't fun for anybody. I'm having to keep track of people and they don't like having someone else here. They want it to just be them. The mistake, I think, looking back was not trusting the players for both of those. And learning to just trust and let go and relax, I think, has helped me as a DM ever since. I feel like the majority of DMs have that same issue where they start trying to paddle the canoe upstream, right? And fight the current. Exactly. And they get frustrated. The players get frustrated because they're not going anywhere. Is definitely a realization. You're like, all right, we've got to just let it flow where it's going to flow. And whatever happens, happens. And we'll make it fun regardless. DMPC is an interesting one. That's one that no one has brought up yet, as far as I can recall. But I think it's definitely worthwhile to mention it. I've read horror stories on Reddit where they're like, yeah, this DM had his own player or her own player, and they got all the treasure and like XP and stuff. And it's like, okay, like what, what is the point? You know, why are we doing this if it's just the DM living their power fantasy and getting this player character with all this extra stuff too? So yeah, pretty goofy. I can see why you'd quickly figure out, okay, this isn't exactly working how I thought it would. So, yeah. No one explicitly said, hey, I don't like this character that keeps getting all the cool finishing blows on the monster. <laughs> can you knock it off? It was more of a, oh, I'm sensing that they're not having as much fun with the game with this character here. Yeah. And, and I like the mentality shift you talked about where you're, you realize like, oh, wait, I get to play everyone else. So exactly. I can still have fun with it and I can still make stuff like this happen. But it's just part of the story, part of the world, instead of trying to make yourself the main character as well. Do you recall a time where you had a player just throw a wrench in one of your plans? Maybe you had spent a ton of time prepping or anything like that and how you handled it? I mentioned earlier, I'm part of uh, Severed Sons, which is an actual play. We kind of came up with the idea of doing what we call them side quests, and it would be maybe not necessarily Ron, who was our amazing, fantastic DM for the main series. We would have someone else come and maybe be me, maybe be Ross, maybe it's a guest from somewhere else come and do a one shot. I had kind of jokingly, nonchalantly thrown out to Anthony Rapp on Twitter. I said, hey, 
when are you going to come play D&D with us? And he said, send me the time. And I said, oh, okay. All right. Hey, you guys want to do a side quest like next week? And as an actor, I bet that was like doubly cool for you, right? Like you probably look up to him, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's so awesome. And we're all actors. And so I went into the group chat and I said, everybody, I need you to stay calm. Anthony Rapp is going to play a game with us. Stay calm. Everybody be cool. Everybody be cool. And so I ran a classic adventure. It actually had been a while since I had run a game. And uh, I think I threw it out on Twitter. I was like, what's a good, just simple, easy to put together one shot that I could run? And a lot of people recommended Wild Sheep Chase, which was a lot of fun. The very beginning of that encounter, I had them all kind of scattered around this town. The sheep would run into town, drawing all this attention. A half-orc would come in looking for the sheep. He would tell all this information. He's like, this is my boss. This is why I'm after this guy. And this is what I need you to do. Blah, blah, blah. I basically wrote a monologue of all of the relevant information, everything he might bring up, everything that he wouldn't know. He walks into town and he goes, where's that sheep? And Anthony's character walks up to him and immediately bashes him in the head with a quarter staff, starting combat. <laughs> he didn't say a single word after that. And I was just dying. I wasn't even mad. It just was like so funny. He was playing this polite bugbear monk that just walked up and just smacked him. That's part of the fun of D&D for me is like, all right, I'll figure out how to get the information to him another way after this, you know? Right. <laughs> but it was a blast. It was so much fun. <laughs> that is awesome. Do you have any homebrew rules that you like to include in your games that you feel like add or help balance or whatever it might be? I don't have any specific homebrew rules other than the fact that I am extremely generous with the rule of cool. If someone can justify in any way why something might happen a certain way with an attack or an action, anything they're doing, I pretty much allow it. So far, so good. Nothing too wild. But one of the rules that I've wanted to kind of experiment with is talking about kind of bringing some anime into D&D. There's a couple that I've kind of wanted to see how they work. And one of them was as a reaction, you can step in front of an attack to someone else, but they get to roll advantage on you. Very Piccolo, Gohan. There's a couple other ones of someone running in. Right. And the other one was uh, trying to figure out a rule to kind of allow if a player is knocked it's kind of like a little bit of like the zealot feature, but for anybody where it's of a player is taken below zero hit points, they can roll a die to see if they can stay up and that whatever the, they can roll, they get like three rounds. But after that, they are two death saves down kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit of kind of risk to see if you can defeat the enemies before you are almost dead. Yeah, I like that. little power of friendship. Maybe they have a flashback. Someone right. saying something. <laughs> That's what I should make the rules. Like, all right, give me a flashback of someone telling you something that will give you the energy to power through and fight this bad guy. And it's got to be like blue sky and the sun and then like leaning down like over <laughs> yeah. you, right? Like, <laughs> remember, <laughs> you can keep fighting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try it next time. <laughs> I love it. You should. You should. <laughs> it feels like you could just take all of these anime tropes and like make something from it. Yeah, I need to just sit and just think of all the tropes and how you could make rules for it. You could do a bunch of like weird feats and stuff, class features that are this kind of thing. Like, yeah, well, I have this mentor. And so when I'm about to die, I flash back to my mentor and then I get X, Y and Z or whatever. Yeah. Maybe if a character uses a ranged magical attack, you can like as a reaction roll a ranged magical attack back and you have a beam battle and see who wins. I like those ideas. Those are some fun ideas to include. You'll have to let me know how it goes, or maybe I'll see how they go later. Do you have any favorite memories from games that you've run? 
big fun moments from combat or roleplay or something really meaningful or really funny that come to mind from games that you've played or run? I think the big one that sticks with me right now is I know a lot of people during lockdowns got into tabletop role-playing games in general. And it was at that time, sometimes my only social interaction and I'm an extrovert. At the end of the day, I think my entire family were all like, yeah, let's maybe do our own thing for a little bit. Love you, but you do that. I'm going to do something else. We've been spending all day together inside. We typically would play like once a week outside of quarantine, but we were like, let's play it again tomorrow. Are we down? We doing it tomorrow? Let's do it again. Let's play three or four days a row in a week. We were wrapping up an Avernus campaign. We do like four hour sessions, but back to back to back, it just felt like this epic conclusion of this campaign that we were all able to really kind of emotionally invest ourselves in for this like huge climactic fight at the end. And it just, it still sticks with me because I feel like D&D and tabletop RPGs in general, when we talk about that fight as a group, we don't say, oh, well, your character did this. And then my character did this. It's always like, it's like, you jumped and grabbed this thing. And then that's when I did. It's almost like a collected shared experience that we all personally kind of remember being a part of rather than just like something that you watch. Like the difference between watching like a Marvel movie and like feeling like you're part of it. That experience definitely helped me during the quarantine kind of stay healthy, kind of have that to look forward to, to have that time with friends. So yeah, that definitely stands out in my mind of kind of impactful D&D moments. But the goofiest was we sometimes will run what I call random encounters. We don't do them as much. It's kind of like a, oh, someone can't play tonight. We don't have anything prepared. I'll just completely randomize a one shot. Just like you guys can make your characters real fast and we'll do it this level. Everything is completely randomly generated. The very first one we did, I was like, okay, you guys are in jail. You're starting in jail. Like I pulled up a random plot hook and it's like, all right, you're in jail and you guys are making a lot of noise. And uh oh, here comes the jail guard. It is a beholder <laughs> and his name is Francis Munoz. And so we always talk Frankie fondly Munoz. about Frankie Munoz, <laughs> Frankie Munoz, the beholder <laughs> coming down <laughs> to check on them. I think they put him to sleep and they just snuck past him. But yeah, we always think of <laughs> the very first encounter of this random one shot was the beholder, Francis Munoz. The beholder in the middle. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I, I know um, there's a stream with Sam Comerford from role playing and role playing, and he does spontaneum where it's just like 100% made up too. I've never made up a whole session on the spot like that, but I think it would be a good exercise to see if I could do it and see how it goes. So that's pretty awesome. And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start with my friend Daryl from Splattered Inc. Introducing RPG Essentials, Acrylic Creature Tokens, a new type of gaming mini featuring hundreds of monsters from classic RPGs. All tokens have at least one variant available, such as different equipment or colors. They are beautifully illustrated on durable flat acrylic, so they are easy to store and carry, all at a fraction of the price of standard minis. Back today to secure your free Undead Dragon token. These are flat acrylic tokens. They're plastic. They've got the monsters printed on them. So they're flat, easy to store. There's going to be a bunch of different really cool ones, like he said. And yeah, you should check it out. I put the link in the episode show notes so that you can go check out the Kickstarter right now and get that free Undead Dragon token. But yeah, Daryl's a great friend of mine. He's done a ton of good work. He's got a bunch of really successful Kickstarters under his belt. And I'm sure this one will be no different. Go check that out. And now a word from How Not to DM. That's me. It's Derek. Hey, listener, how's it going? 
I am super appreciative that number one, you take your time to listen to the show each and every week. It means a ton to me that you care about the guests I have on and that you like the questions I ask them and you find my show interesting. Honestly, it means a ton. So I super appreciate that. I just want to take this time to talk a little bit about some of the links in my link tree and the episode show notes that I usually put down there and what you can do to help support the show even if you don't have money to throw at me monthly for Patreon or something like that. So I added a couple of links in my link tree recently for uh, tips on PayPal and coffee. If you ever want to just let me know that you like what I do, but don't want to commit to a subscription or anything like that, then that's a great place to do that. Also, I want to direct you down to the lower section of my link tree or my episode show notes where I've got a bunch of affiliate links. Let me just explain affiliate links really quickly to those of you who might not be familiar. Basically, it's a link for a specific creator. It's got a code in it or an ID or something that helps identify who sent this traffic to this website. So for instance, I've got some links for Adventure Dice or DMs Guild or 1985 games. If you're thinking about buying anything from any of these creators for your own tabletop games, the best way to support the people that you like is to see if they have affiliate links. Click on those links before making the purchase and then the company knows that you were sent there by that particular creator. So they'll know that How Not To DM sent you to these sites and they will reward me for helping generate some sales for them. Usually it's 10 or 15% of the sale that I make, but that's a great way to help support the show as well. I've actually sold quite a few things on RPG through the affiliate link, uh, also Adventure Dice. Those advent calendars they do during the holiday season are big, and so uh, I get a big boost from those. And I actually was able to use the Adventure Dice money I made from those advent calendars to buy dice for all of my players. I've got a few different groups that kind of go on, and so that was a fun way for me to give back to my players too. The money that you help generate through those affiliate links is either going to go back into the show to help me pay for my editing team, which is podcasteditors.online. Shout out to JR and Matt and all of the other cool editors they've got over there. Or it's going to go toward helping me buy new books or eventually maybe start helping fund some of the other cool content I want to create. So that's what affiliate links are. That's why they matter. And if you are interested in helping the show out, that's a good way to do it as well. If you're planning on already buying something, then doing so through those affiliate links helps support How Not to DM. A couple of other things I want to highlight. I've got some guest spots that have been a lot of fun on a lot of other shows. If you want to go check out those other shows, I've got a link to the guest spots on a site called Podchaser. And lastly, Diversity Saves, who I've been talking about recently. There's a link in my link tree for Diversity Saves. You can go check them out. You can go donate money to a great cause to help smaller creators who are just getting into the hobby or just getting into trying to create their own games or content or whatever, get some money to help them start on their content creation journey. Again, I really appreciate you listening to the show. I appreciate you listening to this mid-roll segment, even though it's maybe not the most fun part of the interview. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me and listen to my show and support me in any way that you can. Again, I don't expect any money from any one of you. I just want to make that clear. But if you do like what I do and you want to help support me in any way, any of these are appreciated. I've already plugged... (laughs) podcasteditors.online so check those out if you're a content creator videoeditors.online as well they do tiktok videos they do youtube videos they do shorts they do reels whatever you want to create as far as video content if you're looking for some help to do that and you want to maybe get a little discount on the first few videos or podcast episodes you want to produce through those people tell them how not to dm sent you all right with all of that out of the way finally let's jump into this week's version of quickfire chaos 
welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Zach and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay. So we'll start off with the NPC voice description. It's going to be a 48. Enunciates clearly and speaks melodiously, sometimes ominously. Interesting. <laughs> oh. Could be a little ominous, could not be. But melodiously and clearly, I like that. Next one is the NPC's job. That's going to be a 51. A gambler, professional gambler. All right. Could be a little ominous, little almost like a little con man, almost. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm getting uh, Casino Royale vibes, Mads Mikkelsen's character, right? Oh, I love his character. Next is personality trait. 14, there we go. <laughs> oh, man, this is great. Callous. They are hardened to emotions, rarely showing any form of it in expression, unfeeling, cold. <laughs> Did we just roll up Mads Mikkelsen's character from <laughs> Casino Royale? <laughs> we, might have. we might have. Last one. Go ahead and roll it. Hey, 67. You are looking for a weather control slash predictive device. This is straight up Bond villain. <laughs> this is a Bond. I love this. <laughs> uh, that's so cool. Yeah, every once in a while, they like all line up in a row, and it's very obvious what kind of character it's going to be. I'm going to be a sorcerer. I'll be a. I don't think I've been a tiefling ever, actually. So I'm going to be a tiefling sorcerer, trying to min max a little bit with that charisma bump. I will be a like a midnight blue sorcerer. So like dark, dark blue with the white eyes, maybe some white hair, kind of a, that nice contrast. Thank you for joining me this evening. Uh, yes, when, you're, uh, when your messenger brought me your calling card, I knew exactly where I could find you. And uh, I assumed it would be urgent, so I tried to get here as quickly as possible. What, uh, what, what have I been summoned for, friend? I appreciate your punctuality. Yes, my... It is wise to not leave me waiting. My mother raised no slouch. Uh, I, I, I try to be as punctual as possible, um, because I know I do not want to anger those who would be kept waiting. Because you are... Aware of who I am. Yes. I suspect you are aware of my proclivity for gambling. It is well known throughout the realms uh, that you are quite the gambler and uh, quite the, the winner as well. Yes. It is true that I love to roll the dice, but I don't leave everything to chance. There is a device I am in need of. A weather predictive device? I have some wagers in town on what next Saturday's weather will be. A fair amount of gold, you might say. Hmm. I will be winning that gold. Do you understand? Yes, uh, perfectly. Then I leave it up to you to find it. Do you have any information about the whereabouts or who might be in possession of this 
predictive device, or perhaps a description of its, uh, what it looks like, uh, how big it is. I uh, just, you know, uh, I'm a little in the dark here, if you uh, pardon my uh, ignorance. It is pardoned for now. You can find this device at the lighthouse outside of town, perhaps? It is a small device, can fit into the palm of your hand, shaped as a weather vane. I should be able to locate it. Then the lighthouse outside of town is, of course, kept uh, on guard 24 hours a day. I will have to be quite careful and perhaps may need to recruit a few of my uh, sticky-fingered friends to make this possible, but rest assured, we can get this job done for you. Do whatever you need. I need not hear of it. Indeed. But take your money and go. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we shall return within the next couple of days with this weather predictor for you. And, uh, I look forward to the second half of the payment when I return. Yes. I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. I'll do like a deep bow and start backing out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine if he's very like thin suited noble man, he's got to have like the one weird scar. Right. Goes across his lip. (laughs) Yeah, totally. If you could all have seen him, listeners, he was really embodying the character as well. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard hard not to. I know, it is. You got to get into it, right? You've talked a little bit about Warlock and Severed Sons being two podcasts that you're a part of or help run or run yourself. I'd love to jump into that stuff now. And if you could tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the TTRPG content space. You've been playing for a while. You um, are really active in your local theater communities. So yeah, how did you decide, I'm going to take these two things and combine them? The Avernus game started because I was in a show with a guy here in town. I think his girlfriend was like, well, Zach's a nerd. He probably plays D&D. And so he comes up, he's like, do you play d and I was like, yes, but don't like how you found that out like that. <laughs> just assumed that I do. You just assume? It's like, you're right. Because I'm into anime and I like Lord of the Rings a lot. Correct. You know, they were like, hey, we're, we need a guy. Join us. We're playing just over at the time it was over Skype. It was ridiculous looking back now. We all were in shows. And so we would get home around 11 o'clock. So we'd play from like 11 to 130. Looking back, I'm like, no, mm-mm, I'm asleep by 1030 now. He was like, yeah, we need like a tank. So I rolled up a barbarian, hopped in and we played that for about a year and a half. And then when we were moving on to our next campaign, we were thinking, oh, you know, it would be kind of fun. Let's record this. Let's podcast this one. May not lead to anything, but it'll be fun to have this campaign kind of on the books, be able to go back and listen to. And if we get some people listening to it, that's great. And so for a while, I didn't really have anything to do with the production side of it. As I started to run games for that group on the podcast, I kind of got into a little more of the how to edit, looking up music and sound effects and kind of getting into all of that. And I felt like I got pretty good and I realized editing, I was like, I think I enjoy the sound effects and the music and that like kind of tightening everything up so much that it almost kind of feels like an audio drama. I remember kind of talking to Claire, who is a member of Severed Sons, 
And I said, you know, I kind of want to do, originally it was going to be a heavily edited actual play. And I was going to have a bunch of people make anime characters. I knew I wanted Claire to be the lead, the magical girl shonen protagonist. And I thought, okay, so I'll run games and we can kind of do kind of what Dark Dice does. He kind of removes the DM voice and puts on like the storyteller voice. Travis did such a fantastic job with that, that I was very heavily inspired. But then eventually, as we kind of talked more and more about it, we were like, well, maybe we just tell the story and we just control everything. And then that's kind of how Warlock was born from that. Just let's just make an audio drama. Never done it. Let's give it a shot. And uh, I really enjoyed the process of creating it. So tell us about how you go about writing episodes and what the process is like getting all of these different voice actors to record their parts and like if you need stuff re-recorded and how much work goes into one half hour episode of Warlock and how does it compare to like your actual play work? So with actual plays, the way I kind of run a game is I familiarize myself with the source material, with the plot points, the NPCs, with kind of every direction they might be able to go. And then I just trust my own DM ability that if whatever they do, I can roll with it. I feel like even now, the way I DM is very low prep in like a traditional sense. All the like technical stuff I feel solid on, but like so much of it is me just kind of rolling with what the players come up with. But with Warlock, an episode sometimes just to write will take me six hours spread out over time. I'll work on it for 30 minutes, take a break, come back, be like, okay, I'm done for the day, come back the next day. And then once that's done, I send it out to everyone. And a lot of that when I'm writing is keeping in mind kind of who's available to record. I keep telling myself, I'm going to write a whole season, record everyone's lines, and then put it all out at once. Not at once, but just consistent schedule, not worry about trying to do it. But I realized that while working on us on the editing portion of the episode, That's how I work on the next one. Do you know what I mean? Like I sit there and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should have this happen. I need almost more time to kind of percolate between episodes. So each episode can really take some time. I think that first episode, it took about a month just to edit. And now I can do it in about two days. I use Adobe Audition. I feel like I have like the shortcuts and the I know how to do things better. I know when I look at the spectrograph of the audio, I know where mouth noises are and breathing. I just can go in there and take it all out. Nice. I did want to ask about like writing for so many different characters. Did you find it easy to like find each of their voices and kind of the way in which they speak? Or do you rely a lot on the voice actors themselves to like fill in the blanks or rewrite stuff for you when working on the script for an episode? I think of like specifically Jeremy Cobb's character is like, so he's just got a very specific way he's talking, right? Do you still write all that stuff yourself or is there a lot of input? So basically, kind of what I do when people come on, I offer, I say, hey, I need a character. I have this outline. I'll say, I need another student for this little arc to do something. And I'll Mm -hmm. say, okay, cool. Do you want to create the character yourself or do you want me to just do everything and then send you the lines and then have you kind of come up with a voice and I'll approve it? I usually ask for a couple takes of each line just to kind of get an idea. And Jeremy... I offered it up to him. I said, do you want to create one or do you want to have me write one? And he was like, oh, I absolutely want to create one. He was 100%. It's got his fingerprints all over it. Yeah. I can tell he loves creating (laughs) Xander. He basically sent a couple lines and he gave me like three distinct voices. And I said, voice three. I love it. It's perfect. You know, early on, I had to kind of actively think of how the characters might speak. Now I'm working on episode 15 right now. I can just very quickly write out a Ren line that's like, oh, yeah, I can hear Nick saying this. Nick's great because he'll give me 
I tell them, I said, hey, if this line doesn't feel like, because they really have a large part in the creation of those. The main cast had a huge part in creating those characters. And I say, hey, these are just guidelines. Like, give me at least one or two of the written line. And then if you want to change it. And I think every time they come up with something better, he'll switch up an insult or something. I'm like, oh, that's funnier. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like a, like an 85% me, 15% writing in terms of like switching lines up and stuff like that. But it stays pretty close to what the what it is on the page, but they'll surprise me in the when I'm listening to the recordings. Be like, oh, that's good. I like that. Is it tough to herd so many different cats or is everybody pretty quick with the turnaround? I guess do you just get the dialogue out to people with so much time in advance that it's like hard to be late or get you stuff late as far as like managing the whole project? It's different every time. Sometimes I'll send stuff out and everyone will get it back to me like the next day. And sometimes it's the, hey, I know we talked the other day about your lines. Just curious, ETA. A lot of times it's us. It's like, I'll be like, right. like Claire. Uh, so, hey, um, I got to start <laughs> editing tomorrow. She'll be like, oh my gosh. You know, we all have lives. We're all doing it for free. Right. I used to stress so much about, because I wanted to do it on like a bi-weekly schedule. And um, Brandon, who plays Diamond, the villain, had like, he was going to record one day. He had to go out of town for something. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to get those lines back to you until like next week. Early on, I would have panicked, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, no one's going to be like, wait, this episode is a week late. I quit. I'm never listening again. They'll listen when it comes out and people are very forgiving. I think audiences are very understanding of anything that happens. And so I still have to do a fair amount of cat herding, but it's less stressful. now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Just having done a little bit of podcast editing myself, just listening I can really appreciate the time and effort it would take to take all of these different parts and put them all together in something coherent. So it's really impressive and really well done. I really enjoyed it so far. Thank you. Warlock is heavily influenced by anime, various different shows that you've watched and that kind of thing. So I'd love to know why you think there's such a large overlap between anime and TTRPG fans. And maybe like tell us a little bit about some of the anime that you've watched that you really enjoyed that have influenced what is now Warlock. I think a lot of the people I know that play D&D, especially kind of, you know, people that have kind of gotten into it in the last few years, a lot of them grew up watching anime. I'm not sure if there's like one demographic that I feel like was like really keyed in on anime, but I feel like I'll run into people that started watching anime in the 80s. They reference a lot of the older animes. And then people that kind of just started watching like My Hero and then are getting into D&D at the same time. But I feel like they both kind of, especially Shonen, it's that underdog story. A lot of like found family is in anime where it's the group of ragtag. Maybe they're all loners and they come together and they become a found family and they save the world. I think kind of resonates a lot with people. You watch the anime and you're like, wow, if there's only some way that I could kind of live that. You can kind of have that feeling in D&D so effortlessly of working together as a team to fight the big bad, the anime villain. It doesn't really influence Warlock a ton. My first anime was, it's a doozy, was Evangelion. That was your first one? That was my first one. Oh, jeez. What a starter, right? Left me with existential crisis and depression in like fifth grade. <laughs> so many shots of just like a ruined city with cicadas in the background. Jeez. <laughs> I wanted to put cicadas into an, a Warlock episode. It just doesn't really translate as well on audio drama format. You're just like, what is that noise? Yeah. They probably think it was static. The first time I watched Evangelion, I was like, uh, and then I re realized I was like, oh, okay. 
And then, you know, I, I was like, I need to watch something a little lighter. And so I got into Dragon Ball Z and that was my shonen introduction. And um, having a kid, I don't have quite as much time to really watch as much anymore. Like Nick is always getting on me to watch One Piece. Which I'm like, that's daunting. There's Aren't like, there like a thousand episodes. There's like a thousand episodes. I, oh. I don't have time. I just don't have yeah. time. But I really loved Naruto. That kind of came to me. I was in college and I had a emergency stomach surgery. And I was able to do some classes, but a lot of my time, once I went back to school, was me just kind of sitting in my dorm room. And uh, my roommate was watching Naruto. Everyone always says this is like, this is what gets you hooked. He was in the tuning exams and it was the Rock Lee fight. And I just remember being like, would you mind starting this over again? He's like, absolutely. (laughs) So we started from the beginning. (laughs) Binge. Just we were up till like four in the morning sometimes. Oh, having yeah. a pizza we've watched like 30 naruto episodes in a day I'm just like we have the weekend you do anything this weekend <laughs> just binge and so i got hooked on that because i would wake up i had a barista job it was one of my first jobs when i moved out to uh, louisville i would get up friday mornings and immediately go and read the new naruto manga that was out like first thing and i just remember that the series finale manga i was with my wife up in bed sobbing she's like are you okay i'm like oh, no it does over it's done it's so okay sorry spoilers you probably know but it's i have a love-hate relationship with my hero academia i enjoy the story i feel like the creator enjoys making quirks a little too much i haven't watched the latest arc i heard it gets back on track but i was like not another tournament arc please i don't need to know nine more characters that can do i don't need to meet a guy that's shaped like an allen wrench he can transform people into like Legos. I don't like, if, is he coming back? Great. If he's not, I don't care. I got a buddy who's watching that while we were working. I'd look over and that's what he's got on his other screen. So I was like, what is this? So <laughs> Just there's a guy, there's a guy, his head is a squirt bottle. That is not a superpower. You are cursed. <laughs> yeah. That's, anyway, that's one I've definitely not gotten into, but he keeps telling me I should. There's the specials and the non-specials and the main character is a non-special but wants to be a special so bad and does anything they can to become in the part of the specials. And so she does. Sounds familiar. Like going to a haunted uh, statue garden or what was it called? Yeah. The Dragon Shrine. Yeah. The Dragon Shrine. That's the one. That's awesome. I think I agree with all of your assessments there about like just the types of stories that are very popular in the most popular anime and why people would want or or realize that they can get those same kind of experiences playing TTRPGs. So, yeah. So we've talked a lot about Warlock. I'd love to know what your future plans are. Do you have an ending already written in mind? Do you kind of have like a set number of episodes you're going to do? Or is all that still up in the air? And do you have ideas for like side stories or spinoffs or anything else that you want to tackle next? I have the main, the big main plot points mapped out. The first time I put it together, I think it ended up being like seven seasons. As we kind of started to come up with more ideas that got pushed back to like 10 seasons, then maybe upwards of like 15 and we'll see you know we still have momentum everyone's very excited we all love what we're doing my enthusiasm hasn't waned i don't think that any of the main cast has they're the important ones as long as i can write them going somewhere doing something so i think i see at least 10 seasons we launched a patreon last month i'm going to start writing some side stories about zarian pre his teaching days He's going out in the world and working as a sorcerer just out of the academy and kind of doing like maybe meeting some of the characters that you know for the first time, kind of filling in some lore. My friend Brandon, who's in the show, has pitched kind of like a good idea for like a sequel story. If we're struggling to make it to that 10th season, enthusiasm wise, I'd be like, great, cool. We did it. I'm happy with the product. And then we go do the next thing. You know, I 
toyed around with the idea. It's like, well, we'll probably be pros at uh, the audio anime drama. We can do one that's like all like mechas. Ooh, I'm in for that. And then we were even like, we could just do that now. We can do that anytime. We can just start any. <laughs> just <laughs> let's just put them all in there. Let's do a couple slices of life. Yeah, hit every genre. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Mecha is, is something that I love. Like when I was a kid, I would watch Gundam with my buddy and we would build them out of Legos. He would like call me on the phone and we'd talk about like which character we were more like and just stuff like that. <laughs> Shout out to Scott Skirlo, my guy. Gundam Wing on Toonami. Yep. Toonami, baby. I think honestly, that was the gateway drug to a lot of people getting into anime. It's Toonami so and then like Pokemon, Dragon Ball. And a few others being on like public TV. So I'd stay up late and watch Cowboy Bebop on uh was it Adult Swim at the time? I think it was. It was early Adult Swim, right? And then they started doing anime only with like Toonami, yeah. Yeah. I remember kind of watching one of the fights that spikes in. I was like, oh, this is cool. I was very action oriented, very drawn to action. So flipping mm-hmm. through on some late night and got hooked on that. Yeah. That's how it works. As far as like season length, then if you've got 10 seasons ish planned, how many episodes is per season? Do you think the first one was 10 episodes, but I'm starting to kind of realize I don't want us to feel kind of boxed in with that, because if we were to do 10 for this season, we're approaching the halfway point and I realize I'm like, oh, we still have so much story to tell. I'm considering pushing it back to be about 12 to 15. Again, it's like I don't want to say we have to have X amount. If it ends up being a weird prime number, if it's 11, it's 11. I want to make sure we're telling the story how we want to tell it and making sure it gives it that breathing room rather than try and wrap up an episode real fast. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, anybody who hasn't heard of Warlock yet, go and check it out. It'll be in the episode show notes. It's an audio drama. So I made the mistake of when I jumped in the Discord a few months ago, like, hey, I'm ready to listen to this now. Like I finished whatever I was listening to. And so I'm ready for this actual play. And everyone was like, oh, it's not an actual play. And I was like, oh, right. I knew that. Yeah, so it's an audio drama. It's all written and scripted, but it's very much D&D influenced. So people will have spells they use or, you know, class features they're using that you'll be very familiar with. Like Zach said, he puts a ton of work into the writing it and the editing and the sound effects. And there's tons of different voice actors playing different characters. And the premise, I guess I'll just say the premise is in a world full of sorcerers, this is the story of the first warlock and how the first warlock came to be. So very fun, very interesting. A lot of like trying to figure out how to fit in and find your place in the world. A lot of expectations and working with the expectations. So a lot of fun and interesting storylines. It's been a ton of fun to listen to. So everybody, should, you should go check it out. couple of uh, last questions for you. Number one, what are your parting words of wisdom, advice, encouragement to people who are out there running games? And then I'd love to hear also advice for people who want to create or are creating and um, need a little pick-me-up or a little bit of advice to keep them going. So my advice running, getting started as a DM is trust your players and communicate with them. I feel like there is no level of communication that is too much between a game master and their players about expectation, about where they want to go, what they want to do, what kind of a session they want. I feel like D&D truly is collaborative storytelling for a lot of people. It doesn't have to be. It could be you could do run some what do they call them? The meat grinder, Tomb of Horrors. But you figure that out by talking to your players. If they don't want to do a lot of RP and they just want to do battle, then that's just all that all just comes from you talking to your players. That is the biggest piece of advice I can give. And doing check-ins as well and not being afraid to talk because you don't want to build that resentment in any way. So I just always 
press keeping that open line of communication between players, between the DM, between everyone. In terms of creating in this space or creating anything, do it. It may not be the polished product you want. It may not be exactly how you want it to turn out, but you are never going to create anything by just thinking about it. You have to take that first step. And you know what? A lot of times the first step is a trip, but you get back up and you keep going and you learn and you meet people and you collaborate and you learn more and you just keep going. I feel like no one is judging you as hard as you are judging yourself. 100%. I love that advice. And thanks so much for both of those pieces of advice. I think they're both super important. Yeah, I would take both those to heart. I love checking in with my players. I think it's super important. And that's what made my game that much better. For anybody who's out there who's thought about making something, like Zach said, you should just try it. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you learn something and you can get up and you can try it again. Yeah, who knows? People might really like what you make and they might have a ton of fun with it. And they might invite you onto a podcast to talk about it because it's so cool. There's tons of potential out there. Awesome. Any upcoming projects or things that you want to chat about now? We did have our Kickstarter successfully launch to have the first half of the season drawn into our own manga. And once that goes out, I'm going to check in with our artists. It's months from now, but we're going to probably try and do another campaign to get that started. So keep an eye if you're interested in that. Keep an eye on that. We'll probably bundle the two together. If you don't have the first one, you know, our plan is to make just one volume for the whole thing. I really want to make a Warlock supplement at some point. I think that'd be a lot of fun to kind of do an actual D&D supplement with some anime style rules kind of set in the world. But yeah, that's that's pretty much just Warlock and uh, Severed Sons are two things I'm a big part of. Awesome. Where can people find the show and find you online? We're working on our website, warlockpod.com. But if that is not, I think it right now has a construction in progress sign on there still. But you can find all of us on all of the um, audio platforms that you might listen to, Spotify, Apple. But we also, our Twitter is warlockdnd. It's Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the links there with our link tree. Also, we pop up if you type in Warlock Podcast on Google. So that was good to find out. Yeah, not bad SEO there. Cool, yeah. <laughs> He's always tweeting fun stuff like anime style spells in D&D and jokes and memes and stuff. And Zach's personal account, he's got some good puns and stuff too. So go and check them out. Again, episode notes where you can find uh, links to all that good stuff. Thanks a ton for joining me. It's been great to get to know you a little bit better. Like I said, I've loved listening to Warlock so far. A ton of fun to listen to all these different characters that you've brought to life and the fun accents and mannerisms and stuff that the characters have kind of created. It really does feel like an anime, but it does feel like D&D as well. It's a, a very good blend of the two. So another plug here to go check out Warlock if you haven't already. By this point, you'll be most of the way through the second season when this comes out. So a lot of fun stuff to go listen to. Episodes are short. You can easily binge them and catch up with the rest of us. But yeah, go check it out. Thanks a ton for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And it's been a blast. And I uh, can't wait to see what else you turn out. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Jay, a.k.a. Lord Gozumba, an AD&D Greyhawk streamer whose game has been running for, get this, 43 years. Your, your audience is there and they're, they're taking their time to watch you. And so let's be bluntly honest. On th- I'm talking about Thursday nights. I'm talking about my special games with like Ed Greenwood or <laughs> other people. 
who wants to watch a bunch of 50 plus year old white old white guys sitting around a table right i mean it's myself and four of my my friends and we're just you know some of them are crotchety some of them could be miserable they had a bad day at work i gotta figure out a way to entertain to make it entertaining in, in, in our game i think we've done that yeah. i think we've you know been able to uh you know entice people to watch and participate in what and be vested in the characters to hear more about jay's advice for keeping streams interesting how he's been able to keep one game running for so long and some of his favorite guests he's had to play in his game tune in next week quick reminder here to check out diversity saves if you've got a second to see what they're all about and to find a way to support them if you can Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs too. New reviews will be read at the end of episodes as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for the help editing and producing this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat. And the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by my buddy Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And... As always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.